Welcome to Health Impact's Digital Health Talks, produced by Purpose Events, hosted by the Health Impact Live team, Megan Antonelli, Emily Raish, and Shahid Shah, Health Impact Chair and CEO and Publisher of Medigy. Each week, we bring you stories from the healthcare providers and technology leaders focused on fixing America's healthcare system. They'll discuss how their organizations are using technology to improve access, equity, and quality. For more than 10 years, we have been your no BS resource for the digital health tools that matter to patients and providers. Join us every Tuesday to learn how programs in telehealth, data analytics, cloud, 5G, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are improving patient experience and health outcomes across the globe. All right, welcome back, Health Impact audience. Uh, we've had a jam-packed couple of days, and we're finishing off with a very strong session on how do we pull together all of the discussions that we've had over the multiple sessions uh, since we started talking uh, about all this stuff yesterday. So this session is generally titled "The Fact That We're Looking Ahead." You know, what do we see as a comprehensive digital strategy for healthcare in this new hybrid world we're thinking of? And, you know, as, as event producers and as uh, writers and speakers, we always like to label things. And one of these labels that we're putting these days uh, is the idea that hybrid care is somehow different uh, than the care that we've had in the past several decades. But that's not quite true, right? We've always had the idea that uh, parts of what we do happen in ambulatory, parts of what we do happen in health systems, in acute care settings. We've had, uh, you know, surgical centers that have been separated. So this idea of things decentralizing uh, and then recentralizing sometimes, but decentralizing uh, has been around for many years. But now we're talking about um, a very specific kind of decentralization, and that is going all the way to the home in this, you know, Uber um, uh, hybrid healthcare model. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. And of course, you'll have lots of uh, time to ask questions uh, towards the end. Um, and um, so be 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 st starting to queue up your questions if you want to if you want to come online. We're going to put you on the camera. But of course, you've got the chat and. Um, our speakers will be answering questions uh, while they're uh, they're talking on stage here. So now let's talk a little bit about this idea of true transformation. What is the idea of transformation as we saw it pre-pandemic? What is the idea of transformation as we see it post-pandemic? That's what we're going to jump into first here. So we know that transformation should not be tied to technology. It's tied to what patients are willing to do, what their caregivers are willing to do, what our staff at health systems are willing to do. So transformation occurs when staff and colleagues on the health system side, coupled with patients and providers, uh, are willing to do something different. And that's really what we've had. Nobody has, uh, nobody says that the pandemic was a good thing or et cetera, but one uh, silver lining that came out of this massive storm uh, that we're going through is that it forced us to rethink uh, technology and do in one year what would have taken five or 10 years. And I think that would, you know, everybody's in general agreement that uh, if anything good came out of this pandemic, uh, it is the speed at which we know healthcare operators can operate. It's not, it's not true that healthcare is a bunch of laggards in technology. It's a bunch of folks who are, you know, slow to adopt, et cetera. 
It's just that the adoption was never necessary before, but now we've seen uh, when it's necessary, it can happen rapidly. And so that's what we're gonna talk about uh, uh, in this session here. So uh, we've got uh, some great expertise from uh, the practicing provider practitioner side of, uh, of health systems. And so we're gonna start, uh, uh, Stephanie, if you wanna introduce yourself, then we'll go to uh, Karen and then to Raj. Sure, thanks Shaheed. So I'm Stephanie Lahr, uh, I am the CIO and CMIO for Monument Health. We are a not-for-profit healthcare system in Western South Dakota, serving uh, most of the Western half of the state, as well as some of Eastern Wyoming and Northern Nebraska. And I am an internal medicine physician by background, but am spending basically all of my time doing these two jobs I have now. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Karen? Yes. Hi, I'm Karen Murphy. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Geisinger. Uh, our headquarters are located in Danville, but we have several locations across Pennsylvania, we're an integrated delivery system with a health, we have a health insurance plan along with clinical platform and a medical college. Yeah, it's a great place to be. Uh, Raj? Thanks, Shahid. Uh, great to be on this panel. So my name is Raj Agarwal. My, my current role is actually uh, in the private sector. So I'm a chief growth and strategy officer for uh, early stage um, digital health marketplace. That's a Vizient member-backed venture. Um, to bring digital health suppliers and health system buyers together and try to do that seamlessly. I think the reason for me being on this panel is that I've spent 20 plus years working in academic medical centers as a clinician, and as a scientist, and most recently leading ventures and innovation at the Jefferson Health System in Philadelphia. Great to be here. Thank you. No, it's an excellent uh, uh, background that each one of you have. So let me start off with the first question. Uh, Stephanie, we'll kick it off with you. Um, this this idea of hybrid care. What what do you think? Um, how should we define it? Uh, is the is the nomenclature of hybrid care useful? Uh, what are you seeing as a CIO uh, in a in a geographically dispersed area? Because not everything is central for you guys. So what do you think about hybrid care? Is it new or about the same as before? Yeah, I mean, I do think that terminology is helpful, especially when we're trying to establish new norms, because if we can create some terminology that we agree on, um, even if we decide to discard it later, it at least helps us identify in a conversation that we're all sort of at least talking about the same thing. Um, you know, I think we're seeing something similar when we talk about digital health, right? If you ask somebody to give their definition of it, not always the same. We kind of know it when we see it, but we may not really be able to put it into a succinct sentence. So, you know, when I when I think of this conversation around hybrid, I think it's really about, hey, we've we've done things in a variety of different ways. We catapulted some things really far forward really quickly. We're seeing some of them pull back because they didn't fit all the situations. So I don't I don't know if it's as much hybrid as really trying to identify in the various elements of a, of a patient's journey, wherever that might be, what's the right tool set to help that patient be as successful as possible in getting through whatever that situation is, whether it's an illness or promoting health or, or whatever, you know, but we, we have a broader tool set than we had before. And we really, you know, it's an opportunity to look at which tool is the right tool and, and how do we understand what the right tool is and create that as a definition, not something around the idea of um, because somebody can sell it to me or because one other organization made it work. Um, you know, I think we really are going to have to try and come to an understanding together about what 
what are the barometers of what makes something good in a particular environment versus another. And that I think we also have to realize just like we've been doing for a long time, what it works super well in New York or in Pennsylvania or Texas may not work the same in South Dakota or Utah or Nebraska. And so I, I think hybrid is really, let's figure out what fits each of us, leveraging the best of the best of what we've seen and how to make that work for our patients and making them successful. No, I love that. Uh, in fact, uh, if you encapsulate what uh, Stephanie just said, Karen, the broader tool set uh, is very important because we definitely have that. But it seems like one other thing that we have now is proof that uh, both physicians and health systems and the care delivery providers and the patients are willing to accommodate and accept this if necessary. So now the question is, Karen, what have you seen uh, you know, from the Geisinger point of view about where has, and let's just look at it in a very narrow sense of telehealth, remote care, et cetera, where has it been um, super helpful, super useful in this condensed innovation time versus where has it been less helpful? Uh, because for you guys, uh, this is very different than um, uh, health systems that do not, that are not integrated, where the health systems that, uh, that have to provide care and then go ask for somebody's reimbursement for it may have operated very differently but Karen, you and Geisinger have not had to worry about that particular problem. You know that if you ever wanted to do telehealth, you could have done it five years ago, you could have done it five months ago. Is that different for you? Uh, and what do you think about uh, what Stephanie said with respect to the broader tool set and, and patients' willingness to adopt this hybrid care? So uh, a couple of, and I agree with everything Stephanie said, I always find it interesting that healthcare approaches um, most everything differently than other industries. So other industries, I mean, we have a phone that we can FaceTime that's been around for about 10 years. And um, I think when you think of the online retail shopping, when you think they, they really didn't, they announced it as an improvement in customer service. They didn't announce it like it was a major transformation, right? <laughs> they, it, the expectation just came to be that the companies or the industries were actually leveraging available technology to improve the experience. And I think um, it, it's different that if you listen to all of this talk in the industry, you know, we leveraged a technology that's been around forever and just started to, it forced us for more rapid adoption. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I think let's take a look at, and we also at Geisner, while we have our health plan, we also take other payers. So we participate with all public payers, uh, both on a fee-for-service and value-based um, contracts and other insurers. So, I mean, the real reason why there was low adoption, if we talk about virtual health, was really the reimbursement. The business model did not support the innovation, right? So um, during the pandemic, that changed. And voila, you see everybody except the innovation. So um, I think there's a lesson there in that um, the business model has to match how fast we want to innovate. And um, I think we can't discount or um, we can't talk about digital strategy or virtual care or care transformation that doesn't have a sustainable business model. So I think in moving forward, um, when we talk about what does healthcare delivery look at or look like, 
Um, I think we have to obviously take that into consideration. We would go 100% value for every payer tomorrow um, because it allows you to do exactly what we did during the pandemic. We did the right thing for the patient, um, for the provider and our employees. And um, really when you look at status quo, that really impacted very negatively from a financial standpoint, right? Because you lost your fee-for-service. We canceled services. We did everything that um, was right to mitigate the spread of the disease. But at the same time, from a financial standpoint, it really was a, a very challenging um, situation. So I think going forward, we have to match the, um, the value-based payments so that we can be allowed to accelerate in, because health systems know what they need to do, right? So we can allow to accelerate. And I think also um, from a virtual care perspective, we have to figure out um, really where's the, where's the evidence that actually demonstrates that we're lowering total cost of care, we're improving outcomes, um, and we're not just doing something because we can. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. So when you look, think about this, uh, so if you if you look, uh, uh, Raj, at what uh, Stephanie mentioned with respect to a broader tool set, patients uh, willing to accept this broader tool set, Karen's talking about uh, business models, and for sure, don't just do it because um, uh, you can do it, but figure out why. Talk a little bit about the business models. You've, you've spoken before uh, about the idea that you know there's just uh, uh, south or near about $100 billion worth of revenue being produced by uh, digital health companies these days. But uh, there's north of uh, a trillion, trillion and a half, two trillion dollars that health systems are spending uh, to, uh, to do their job. Why the gap and how does one fill that gap of everything that health systems are doing um, and spending uh, and but digital health, which is what we're thinking is the driver, this broader tool set for uh, the transformation. Why is there such a big delta between those and what are you seeing in the marketplace with respect to taking these digital health companies that might help with the business model problem that uh, Karen is referring to? Thank you, uh, Shahid. Um, look, I, I think there's there's a lot to unpack here um, in terms of this. Let me let me start with um, uh, one point and then make two others. Um, the first is you know the concept of hybrid care delivery. Um, I think this is a transitional space that we're in. And if we go back to let's take banking, right? I remember when I was a kid, my dad took me into a bank and we opened a bank account. And any time that I had some pocket money, I would go to the bank down the village. I grew up in a small English village and put that money into the bank, right? That was the way that we did it. Travel agents, same thing, right? The last time I went into a bank was actually to open a new account because they needed to see my passport and so forth. But apart from that, it's been over two years, right? But we don't call it telebanking. It's just banking, right? So this concept of telehealth, virtual care, I think we're in this transitional period where, you know, even if you go back to, um, you mentioned in the introduction, home care, well, home births were the norm 30, 40, 50 years ago, and now we're kind of trying to go back to home care, right? Okay, so this is all healthcare, and this kind of hybrid care delivery model, I think, is a transition, and we're going to need to find where is the sweet spot. And as Stephanie says, it's not the same. It's not the same for every service line, every health setting, every individual patient, every provider, right? And there needs to be that um, ability to be dynamic in this process. Going to your question around um, the business models here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The 
10 IDNs in this country, you know, there's net patient revenue north of $1.1 trillion, right? These are the health systems, just where I used to work at Jefferson, a $5 billion net patient revenue system. Karen works at Geisinger and um, at Monument Health, where Stephanie works and many others. This is where care is being delivered, right? And these are the trusted beacons. And this is even more important in the last 12 months with COVID. These are the trusted sites of care, right? Trusted by community. You see what's happened with providers. In the UK, my home country, people were every Thursday night clapping for the NHS, would get out on their balconies. And, you know, it was the, the teachers, the healthcare providers, so are respected. And I'm not trying to uh, poo-poo the digital health companies, but as you said, are a much smaller kind of um, revenue. They're doing a great job. And what they're realizing now is that they can't just be a technology company, right? And so the two things are happening. One is they are partnering up, let's take one medical is partnering up with health systems, right? Multiple health systems to kind of say, hey, we can't own all of this. How do we do this to make this kind of seamless approach? But then secondly, you have actually got um, uh, uh, digital health companies that are now trying to become provider companies. And to me, that's the wrong way around. We are, as health systems, the providers, we are trusted and we own this space. And so we shouldn't let it go for the sake of our providers and our patients, right? And so um, I'm somewhat dismayed by when you hear about digital health, what's the thing you hear? This amount of funding that's going into healthcare. Uh, it's this venture round and this SPAC and so forth. Now, you know, I've said this previously, I, I get all that and I get the, uh, the gross um, uh, kind of valuations of a lot of these companies. Instead of earnings per share, what about outcomes per share? What are the outcomes that these companies are delivering, right, in terms of our patients, in terms of our providers who are frustrated with the electronic medical records and so forth? And then one final point I just want to make around the business model. I, I get everything that Karen's saying, but the challenge between kind of consumerism outside of healthcare and healthcare is in healthcare, it's other people's money. No one is paying for their own healthcare directly. And that's the other challenge. It's such a circuitous route um, around this kind of payment models. And somewhat, um, uh, sadly, I think part of that's by design as well. So so those are kind of the, the three high level uh, points that I'd like to make, certainly in response to your question. Oh, perfect. Uh, and, and Stephanie, if you want to comment a little bit uh, on uh, what Raj was mentioning, and that is, uh, as a CIO, you're obviously responsible for a few different things, right? As, uh, you know, both as a physician, but uh, certainly as a person who is looking out for these innovations. What are some of the common um, uh, problems that you're seeing that are being presented to you? And then you just scratch your head and saying, what are these guys thinking of? Why aren't they focusing on this <laughs> instead of that? And so when you look at this $100 billion worth of net uh, of, of uh, cumulative revenue that we're talking about that uh, digital health companies are producing, as, as Raj mentioned, what areas do you wish that they were handling that maybe they're not? And where do you think there's too much? Is there a glut of supply available uh, for certain innovations, but not others? Yeah, so uh, lots of things come to mind uh, when you ask that question. So I, I would say, first of all, um, one of the things I'm seeing is uh, for the, what I see is, is there's work coming from groups that have been in healthcare, um, but are now pivoting and expanding. Um, you know, we have a vendor that we work with very closely that has done a bunch of work in other industries that I think they're just now feeling 
bold enough and, and the relevance enough to say, well, we've been doing this with the airlines and the banks and whatever for the last 20 years. Maybe you guys want to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. And we're actually saying, yes, we do. And and that's actually, that's been great because they get us. And I think both to Karen's point and Raj's point, we're similar, but we're different. And there are pieces that, so one of the challenges that I see is on, on the, the spectrum of those that are newly entering the space. Um, I feel a lot of sort of over-promise and under-deliver um, risk. I really am not, I mean, if you come to me and tell me, give us, you know, two days and, um, and some of your team's time. And by next week, you won't have to deal with any of the challenges around distributing vaccine. They'll be fixed. We can do this by next week. I'm like, really? I mean, really, can you, you're going to deal with the phone calls, the phone calls that are going to come in, you're going to deal with the screening. You're going to take that screening and turn it into an appointment. You're going to send, you know, I mean, and then you dig in a little deeper and it's like, well, no, we're not going to do that part, but we could, we can automate the phone calls. So at least you don't have 20,000 people calling you at once. Well, then just tell me that, right? I, I don't, I don't want to hear that, you know, within, within one week, we can go from my whole team and, and operational teams across the health system being completely overwhelmed um, to, you know, sitting around with nothing to do and then have a little deeper conversation and say, well, uh, that level of integration isn't really something we've actually done, but boy, we could really help with, you know, these pieces. So I, I think they're targeting the right things. I hear a lot of pieces come, you know, areas coming in. I think automation of simple tasks is a great place to focus for healthcare. Um, Again, given the trusted relationships that we have, I don't see us going to digital solutions that sort of replaces that more intimate and personal um, relationship when it's really needed out of the gate, right? Let's automate the easier and the less intimate stuff, like um, some of the billing side, the revenue cycle, um, even some of the patient facing things like, you know, phone calls and or using IVR and some of these other things to, to take what is a heavy demand and maybe not enough supply and distribute and, and make people a little more open to it. But again, when, you know, when the retail companies started rolling out their, um, their, framework for online shopping, I still went to the store most of the time initially. And I shopped online for the stuff. I was like, well, I already know what size I wear in this and I need another pair. I'll go ahead and buy it online because I don't need to go to the store, right? We evolved in this together and I see healthcare doing that too. And so I'd like to see them start with, let's start with some of the easy stuff. Let's knock some stuff off that's low hanging and low risk, but taking up a lot of resources. And to do that, you need to understand my business a little bit better. And so don't oversimplify it and don't overpromise something. I, I'll take something that's simple, um, but does something really great and does it really well. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And and Karen, um, so Stephanie was uh, is much nicer than I am. She's saying overpromise, underdeliver. I would just say don't bullshit me, right? <laughs> if if what you can do is just the easy stuff, say it's the easy stuff, and you still have to do the hard stuff, right? That's truly what they're saying is 
all the crap that you think. Uh, so digital health companies, you know, and as an angel investor in the field many times, what we want, we want from the hospital end is do the hard stuff for me. But if you can't tell me what easy stuff you're taking off so I can still put the right people on the right jobs to do the hard stuff. Unfortunately, very few. And, and, and Rajesh, after um, uh, Karen uh, provides some comments here, I'd love for you to talk about who are the companies out there that are doing really the hard stuff rather than the easy stuff. But Karen, I'd love for you to kind of like piggyback on what Stephanie said and say, are you guys, as from the innovation angle, being BSed a lot, uh, and, and you can now see through the BS, or is there a lot of uh, fluff and there's a lot of um, supply going on for this hybrid care model that we're trying to move to, and there's still lots of weaving and bobbing and stuff that you guys have to do on the buyer side to figure out where can you apply some of these technologies uh, coming in? So are you being BSed a lot, number one, kind of like what Stephanie was mentioning? And um, if so, what would you recommend uh, the uh, innovators do to really clarify the evidence that you asked for? I think that's like super. It's like, what, what are you looking for in terms of evidence that would cut through all the BS uh, so that we can move through a better uh, innovator, uh, uh, buyer innovator procurement uh, type of discussion? So I think, um, as Stephanie said, it there are so many companies, and I think the number one worry that I have leading a digital strategy is, are we siloed to the point where we have so many one-offs? So we have this company who does IVR for the call center. We have this company that does IVR for appointments. We have this company that... Um, perhaps is doing it for another use case that we have. So I worry that we'll create this digital nightmare, mm -hmm. that it will be analogous to, um, as at the advent of EHRs, we thought were so wonderful. And really what we ended up doing was creating electronic filing cabinets. Mm -hmm. So unless you're within the healthcare system, you know, your record as, unless you voluntarily get that record and, allow another provider. It's not like all the providers in the world can look at Stephanie's record or Raj's record or my record. So I worry we're doing the same thing with digital strategy. So we're getting a solution for a diabetic. We're getting a solution for somebody with congestive heart failure, when really we should be looking at the patient much more holistically. They are not just a diabetic. They have hypertension. They have well, we don't want to do digital strategies for all those diseases, right? So we want to look more holistically. Um, and, I, and I think um, this is relatively new to the industry. And when you think about the startup industry is also, as Raj talked about before, when you talk about the, the booming startup industry, I mean, 10 years ago, you wouldn't even have that available to you to have all these solutions. So I, I think we really have to um, be selective when we, you know, when we're talking to these companies. And I think the other part is sometimes we don't know exactly, we don't articulate well exactly what we're trying to solve for. Mm -hmm. So if we can't articulate the problem, I highly think they're not going to be able to solve answer right. the question because we we don't we're not articulating what we're trying to do, and mainly it's due to the you know the inherent complexity. Of, of the delivery system. So, um, you know, I think there's enough to go around that we have to get better at what we do um, to be focused 
as to what our needs are and to be able to well articulate what we're trying to solve for and how we're going to measure it. And I think we have to learn, um, uh, again, solve for a problem, not chase the shiny new nickel. Don't, don't get that app just because you can. You know, get it because you can articulate what it's going to, what it's going to solve for. Yeah, great point. Uh, so uh, two things I'd love for you to talk about is one is piggybacking on what Karen just mentioned uh, about how do you establish expectations? You know, you're 20 plus years in, in, in innovation at uh, Jefferson. Um, what what ways did you say, look, if we articulate our expectations better, then maybe the innovators can uh, give us the outcomes uh, better and get to better outcomes per share, as you were mentioning. So that's one area. How do we set expectations? And it's a second area. The, so the Silicon Valley style of MVPs and starting quick and you know deliver something uh, that something can somebody can use tomorrow morning. That to me seems like uh, old and tired. And you got to give something of high value. And in healthcare, unless it's got end-to-end uh, capabilities uh, and end-to-end integration friendliness, it can't possibly be useful. So I uh, just love for you to talk about those two subjects is well, how do you set expectations and what, where can, how can we expect startups to do the hard things that hospitals have to solve rather than all the easy stuff? Yep, no, uh, great questions. And uh, uh, I love kind of taking the lead from what Karen just said. So let me just give you a, a real life example. When I was at Jefferson leading ventures, we had a bunch of companies coming in. And one of these companies was um, a, a digital platform for uh, women with gestational diabetes. And, you know, they've done a great amount of research, actually published peer-reviewed research where they showed that um, uh, the the outcomes for the mothers and uh, for the newborns uh, were significantly better, lower in C-section rates and um, uh, large for dates, babies, and all that kind of stuff. And said, I really want to bring this in. It was a UK company. We're going to invest in them and so forth. And the approach that we take is we don't say, I think Karen said, the bright, shiny object, here you go, use it. What we do is, you might call it a design approach um, uh, or so forth. But the first thing we do is let's map out what your current state looks like. What does just today look like from diagnosis of gestational diabetes through to everything that that woman has to go through, all the providers, let's map it all out. And I did this with a couple of the providers and it was a big, long you know, whiteboard. We had a white wall, all of the different things, right? And then... Let's ask these providers, close your eyes and imagine what does ideal look like, right? And um, that's on the top of the board, right? This is what it should look like. And then what are the metrics of interest on that y-axis that take you from current state to ideal state, right? So, you know, is it uh, number of times that patient needs to be seen in the office? Is it number of admissions? Is it, you know, uh, number of times their blood sugar is too high, too low? Um, uh, you know, a large for dates baby uh, that needs um, a forceps delivery or something like that. And on that basis, then what we would do is say, well, where is the biggest delta? Where's the biggest opportunity between current state and ideal state? Where's the area to fight, right? Okay, so that's the mapping exercise. And then I would bring in, here's this technology. What do you think about it? And where does it fit on this map, right? And that really gives a great construct of um, how do we make these fit for purpose and not as Garen says, the digital nightmare, or as one of my other colleagues um, uh, in Morrison says, you know, that we don't have this pimp for uh, pimp my ride approach to healthcare, where we'll just stick something else on and something else on and something else on. And suddenly, the car falls flat, because it's it can't take any more weight. That's what we're doing to healthcare with all these point solutions. So how do we approach this from whether that's a service line approach, 
whether that's an ambulatory care approach, um, whether that's a complex care monitoring approach. And that's really what we have to do. And again, I'll go back to what I said, we as health systems need to own this space. So we need to guide and direct the digital health suppliers to say, look, Lavongo, you got to work with this digital health company that does this, and you got to work with this company. I mean, they're starting to do it themselves, you know, Lavongo, Teladoc, and InTouch, right? But we need to be able to own that and say, this is what works for my health system, right? So that's the first piece. The second piece, I think, is a critical question, and it, um, you know, about um, the MVP break things and so forth. Look, that's still fit for purpose to try things out. And we've all been at hackathons and seen those. Those are nice, what we call innovation theater, innovation showcase. There's not an intent to go anywhere, but it's about getting people engaged and excited about innovation in healthcare. Great, right? It's a great kind of um, uh, academic uh, approach. But in terms of actually caring for patients, this reminds me of um, David Blumenthal, the, the head of the Commonwealth Fund. And he wrote an article, I think it was New England, uh, maybe over 10 years ago, about the dual eligibles, right? Eligibles, right? The, uh, the Medicare, Medicaid patients who cost 80% of care or end-of-life care and so forth. And those are the really, really hard uh, patients to take care of. But if you can take care of them, there's a huge opportunity to improve their quality of care because they have three to four chronic diseases, Right. And they have all the, the social and the economic issues, right? So how do we support them? So companies such as City Block Health that's really gone out there and said, yes, this is the group of patients that we're going to go and serve. And look, we, they're making revenue, right? It might not be as much as some of the other shiny object uh, companies, but I'll tell you, so the work that, uh, the little that I know about the work that City Block Health is doing, I think they're going to be around for a lot longer because they have now created this commitment to this group of patients that, quite frankly, no one else cared yeah. about, right? No I, no, I love that. In fact, uh, Roger, exactly right. And that was a perfect example that takes us into our uh, Q&A period. So during, during the Q&A, let's ask some hard questions about who are those companies that are going to really bring this hybrid care in, in a way that the health systems can truly partner with, own it, and take it forward. So with that, I'm going to thank uh, Stephanie, Raj, and uh, Karen uh, for their prepared remarks. And now we're going to take it into our Q&A. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face -face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.